Welcome to this clinical law briefing. My name is Robert Wheeler. I work in Southampton as a children's surgeon and clinical lawyer and hope this podcast concerning a legal aspect of clinical life will interest you. This briefing reflects on whether courts have created a standard for clinical follow-up. Mr Gallardo complained he had not been told of his malignant diagnosis and that a plan for following his post-operative course had not been put in place. At the age of 28, he presented with what appeared to be a gastric ulcer, but proved at operation in 2001 to be a malignant gastrointestinal stromal tumour, requiring subtotal gastrectomy. His early post-operative course was complicated by acute appendicitis and two further laparotomies for sepsis and obstruction, all necessitating six weeks intensive and then high-dependency care. Leaving the hospital apparently oblivious of his malignant condition, the court hearing his claim found that he had not been told that his operation had revealed a malignancy, that he should have been told, and that follow-up arrangements should have been put in place. This is not a surprising conclusion, and reflects the energy that all clinicians must expend to ensure that interventions are followed up according to the diagnosis that is reached. The case is nonetheless of interest because it reveals the creation of a judicial standard for clinical follow-up, which is rare and bears some scrutiny. Interestingly, the judge applied the familiar rules for information disclosure prior to consent for any clinical intervention to information that we need to provide following that intervention. I'll start again. Interestingly, the judge applied the familiar rules for information disclosure prior to consent for any clinical intervention to information that we need to provide following that intervention. Whilst you may consider that this strains the sinews of informed consent to breaking point, the judge articulated an obligation by analogy. And these are his words. To provide the patient with a right to be informed of the outcome of treatment, the prognosis, and what the follow-up care and treatment options are. Information should only be withheld in exceptional circumstances and for clear and persuasive therapeutic reasons. In finding this patient's right to be told, the court also provided guidance on when the post-diagnosis disclosure should occur. Again, the judge's words. There are several factors that may affect timing. For example, the anxiety of the patient to be told of the outcome, the patient's condition and ability to participate in the discussion, the seriousness of the information, and the availability of close family members to offer support and comfort when difficult news has to be given. The practical implications of creating this right to be told could take some time to crystallise. And during that interval, an appeal or subsequent judgment overturning this decision may emerge. For instance, is there to be a countervailing right not to know? And does the right to be told create an obligation to tell? And at what threshold of diagnosis does that obligation become engaged? Must a serum sodium of 134 millimoles per litre be disclosed, technically diagnosing hyponatremia? Any clinician can easily identify simple instances where the right to know, if it exists at all, would in good faith be frustrated by the exigencies of clinical practice. But be slow to ridicule. Irrespective of the quality of the legal foundations upon which this judgment is based, 
it should give us pause for thought in terms of how we ensure that our patients are properly informed of clinical findings and what should be done as a consequence. Irrespective of whether there is a tangible right in these circumstances, it is self-evidently good practice to inform patients of their condition and put into place a strategy for management, of which we are certain they are aware. Few of us would wish to remain oblivious to a malignant diagnosis, even fewer perhaps relishing the risk of no follow-up in their circumstances. I hope this was useful, but if you would prefer to read rather than to listen to me, by all means look at the Clinical Law website on the UHS webpage, or type Clinical Law into a search engine.